Hey, hey, hey. Thanks very much indeed for showing up for this episode 13 of the What's Raising About podcast, The Wrap, the podcast that ensures that you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. My name is Peter Bell, and today's podcast was going to be a quick look at the forthcoming weekend's cards in the company of our friend Wayward Lad, who made his debut on the last podcast, if you remember. And if not tipping up Cloudy Glen for the Ladbrook Gold Cup a couple of weeks back, then certainly being one of only a handful of horses that both he and I could see at least placing in the race. I hope you followed his blog, which, unlikely as it may seem, is entitled The Wayward Lad Blog. I hope you followed it last weekend where he went to town on both Highland Hunter in the long distance chase at Sandown on the Tingle Creek card. And again up at Aintree where he tipped up Protectorat who ended up turning the Many Clouds chase there into an absolute procession. Bada bing then. And we're hoping for more of the same when we have a shufty at this weekend's cards later on in the podcast. Before that though, I want to have a chat about hype. Hype and horse racing. Hype and horse racing and the immortal worlds of public enemy don't believe the hype because... There I was, tooling around on the internet last Sunday lunchtime, and was more than somewhat surprised when the result of the 1210 maiden hurdle at Cork popped up onto my phone, with the news that Kilcrut had been beaten on his hurdling debut. That segued quite nicely into a proper drop-me-bacon sandwich moment when I read he'd only been sent off by punters at 14-1 to 1 on. Okay, well, here was a horse who was second in the Cheltenham Festival champion bumper before running away with the Punchestown Festival equivalent in his native island last April. Clearly, that's gold-plated form, which are plenty strong enough to justify favouritism for the horse for this race, even against 15 other rivals. But back to the hype motif that I touched on. Firstly, his backers were banking on him doing something he'd never done before, which was to jump an obstacle in public in a race under national hunt rules. But more importantly, they were prepared to accept a price which wouldn't even mean they would be doubling their stake to see if he really was the reincarnation of Pegasus everyone seemingly thought. Now, my first thought was, how desperate do you have to be to do that? I'll go to my grave defending your right as a punter to back what you like with your own money, provided, of course, you're not compromising you or your loved one's living standards in doing so. But for the life of me, I can't understand anyone who took those odds about Kilcrute winning last Sunday. There's an almost magical quality to being on a certainty, in inverted commas, a banker, and in this case, Willie Mullins' trained hot pot. Racing folklore is seasoned with such vocabulary, and a winner's a winner, right? There's nothing like being part of the in crowd, who are all shouting home a favourite, and in this case, a long odds on favourite, and then regaling anyone who listens to you with your epic tales of daring do, and how you and the rest of the crowd took the bookies to the cleaners. Except when you don't. Except when the horse is Kilcrook last Sunday. Killer Instinct, trained by Henry Cecil, owned and bred by Willie Carson on the flat from a few years back. Team Denman, or Team Kauto, in the 2010 Gold Cup, where the marketing weasels had the biggest jumps race of the season pegged as a match race, almost forcing punters to choose a side, completely disrespecting the connections of other horses in the race, and, of course, ensuring those who bought into this feeding frenzy missed out on the actual winner, Imperial Commander. Now, this is a meal I'm going to reheat time and time again in our little get-togethers on these podcasts, and I make no apologies for doing so. There's nothing wrong with having a couple of quid on a favourite. It's hardly the invasion of Poland. But 
If you have any pretensions to making money from your betting on the horses, then for me, a winning bet on an odds-on shot is merely paying your stake on your next losing bet. And if you're backing it based on a rumour you've heard, or you're following the market plunge, or you're betting it's going to do something it's never done before in public, jump an obstacle, or run on different going, or run around a bend, etc., then you can come outside with me because I've got a job lot of glass hammers I'm just dying to sell you. Like I say, this won't be the last time I get on my soapbox about this. But in a week where Boris and his flunkies in Sage have been lecturing us about our behaviour, I figure I've probably put you through enough by now. But watch it, okay? Anyway, on to what will undoubtedly be the standout 10 to 15 minutes or so of this particular podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Wayward Lad. How are you doing? You all right? I'm fine, yeah. I'm a bit disappointed with the weekend's rating, that's all. I think it's quite a disappointing day for a Saturday. It is, isn't it? You know, everyone's sort of cracking on about the importance of Cheltenham and does Cheltenham cast a shadow over the season? Well, here's a Cheltenham race meeting and uh, on good to soft ground and it's, it's looking pretty pretty thin pickings, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing going on at Doncaster, there's nothing going on at Hereford, Newcastle. Doncaster's got that novice, that novice chase and I was looking at that. I, I, I think for the past sort of four or five years, it's had no more than four runners. I mean, you've yeah. got to call, it's got to call into question whether... That should actually still be run, I think. Well, I find it difficult when trainers complain about not having races to run in and they don't support a race like that. Yeah, yeah. tell me about it. Because it's a very good, I mean, it's a great course, Galvin course, Doncaster. And you think that a race like that should really have eight, ten runners in it. But maybe because it's such a high grade, trainers don't want to ruin their handicap by coming second or third or fourth. So maybe what they should do is drop the grade, make it a lesser, lesser race. And attract a bigger field, and that way maybe the hand couldn't. Really, the handicappers do rate the race. They should rate the performance, but they don't. They rate the they race. They rate the race, yeah. Well, if they kept, if they kept the prize money, the, if they kept the prize money the same and downgraded the race, you, the trainers would be happy, owners would be happy. You, you might yeah. have a point, and then uh, and you get bigger field because bigger fields is what it's all about, and it, it attracts the yeah. punters yeah. and make, makes for an interesting betting medium. But I, I guess the only thing. I guess the only thing that's of race that's of real sort of interest is the um, it's fifteen runners as it stands racing post gold cup handicap. Yeah, that's chance. the only one I've really looked at, and there's uh, I've gone through it. And in this race, you've got to look at it, it, just looking at the stats. No horse older than nine years won it in ten years. Yeah, you're looking at a horse that is improving, hasn't got many miles on the clock, and is going to improve eight ten pounds for the run. And there's only two horses in the race I can see crack on having the potential to do that. One's Dostal Phil, Phil Hobbs' horse, which was fourth here at Cheltenham four weeks ago That's in the right, Paddy yeah. Parrot. Yeah. And it should come on third one. But it is, it is a horse that I think will do better when it steps up to three miles, personally. Uh-huh. But the horse that I really jumps jumps out, absolutely leaps out at me, is Nicky Henderson's Fusel Raffles. I mean, I, I can't, still can't believe it's on 152. Yeah. <laughs> on the handicap. I'd have thought it'd be 158 by now, maybe 160. But I can see it's, it's run at Cheltenham with second to its stablemate Chantry House last March. is top, top class form. It won the, the novice chase on this card last year. And it's, this year it's had two great ones. It was second to Brave Man's Game, trying to, trying to give Brave Man's Game £12 at Newton Abbott over 2 mile 5. And then, OK, it benefited from the fall of the Chantry in the Charlie Hall. But it still managed to knock out a win. And so and it's, I don't think three miles is its trip. I think this drop down to two miles, uh, four and a half, is going to really fire up. I, on 
honest to God, it's 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 too eight to one in yeah. the betting. Yeah. I think I looked at not many people are offering odds on it. Uh, I, I can see this one going off Vegas on Saturday. I really can. Yeah, I'm just having a quick scan of odds checker whilst we're talking, and eight to one looks the best best price. But you think there might be a plunge, a, a wayward lad inspired plunge on this one? Then I would. I honestly, <laughs> we know it's quick. Yeah, and we had and Henderson had it entered for the elite international hurdle, and he's pulled out over two miles. So he thinks it's quick enough for that. Certainly quick enough, and it's a brilliant jumper of the fence. And you know it, we know it acts on the course. It'll like the ground. Good yeah. handicap, Mark. Yeah, there's plenty to like about its chances for that yeah. one. I, I, I take your point as well about this being a, 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 a young horse's game. I liked the look initially of Farinet by uh, Venetia Williams. And yeah, the well, booking you of put Ray- a lot of trust in that run that it had last year. Uh, hey, in, uh, at Sandown. Sandown, that's right, yeah. Which were, and if you look at its previous runs in the season, it was pretty, you know... It's depend- you're expecting to leap up the handicap again for another one. It's been waiting for the ground. Is the ground going to be good enough for it? Debatable. It needs soft ground. It needs this rain to get in the ground. And I don't think it's going to be soft enough for it. It's young, it's improving. It's going to be good. More good than good to soft on Saturday. Yeah. I think, yeah, keep an eye on the weather. I, think I, just, I just like the look of it. Uh, purely for on, the, on, on age, it's unexposed. Uh, obviously, Rachel Blackmore's been jocked up on it today. She's not going to come over for shits and giggles. I, fa- I fancied it because it's at the right end of the handicap. You can see it improving. Yes, it's its first run of the season, but it ran well first time out last season. Um, Venetia Williams is in good form at the moment. I just think it's, uh, it, again, it's not that's got plenty on its side, but I think that's only about a point bigger than Fusil Raffles in the bet. I think that's about 9, 10 to 1 at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, you, you, you'd have to be looking at that as an each way chance, more, yeah. more than a win chance, I think. Yeah. Really. Anything at bigger odds, or is that just the, the no, natural? No, I, I, I haven't looked at anything else. That's the only one I like the look of. Fusil Raffles, 8 to 1. That comes in. I'll be, I'll be more than happy. That's my, that's my only bet that I can see for the weekend, that one. Cool. Well, we we'll keep it keep, keep it short and sweet. Anyway, I mean, just yeah. just in terms of the future, what we the plan is to come back probably uh, Christmas week and have a look at the Christmas cards. I'll try and what I try and do is a, a Boxing Day Yankee if we can try and find because it, it'll cut up. There should be a few a few nice little wages to find. Stay away from the big races. You're not much point in finding a seven to four winner of the King George. I'd much rather look for something like about twelve to one winning. <laughs> Really not, really not weather be or something like that. Yeah, yeah. the glory days of the uh, of the Roland Merrick and Canelo again from a couple of years back. Yeah, there's a couple of decent chases that, uh, on on Boxing Day. Sometimes they only get five or six runners in it, and can pick up some really decent odds. Cool. All, All right. right. I'll leave it there. No worries. Have a good weekend. Have a good uh, yeah, next you. week as well. We'll pick up during Christmas week again. Great stuff. All the very best, Wayward. Take care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. See you, yeah, mate. Wayward Lad there with his thoughts on the Racing Post Gold Cup handicap, which is due off at 1.50 this Saturday at Cheltenham. Check out his blog at waywardlad.blogspot.com for some really great insights into races he's thought long and hard about. You'd have had to be living in a lead-lined box not to have heard the verdict in the Robbie Dunn, Briony Fox case that reached its final chapter today, with Dunn being found guilty of bullying Fox on all four charges resulting in him being banned from racing for 18 months, three months suspended. For my part, I've tried to step back from a gut reaction and come up with something less generic and polarised than being for Team Bryony or for Team Robbie. You can't really burn for this sport and pretend that none of this counts or matters though and just bang on with some tips and some chat, however engaging, and think you really are helping people get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. So... 
two takeaways for me then from this case. One, justice delayed is justice denied. And David Bass, the Professional Jockeys Association jumps president, remarked back in October that the British Horse Racing Association's sclerotic response in dealing with this case was a recipe for creating a vacuum. A vacuum into which ill-informed and polarised opinions fed, whilst the BHA dragged its heels in securing evidence and dealing with the bureaucracy of establishing the hearing. Bass's urging of the BHA to then drop the case in light of the laboured process by the BHA and subsequent briefings in the press, which the Professional Jockeys Association thought were prejudicial to the case, was wrong. Light does need to be shined into the weighing room and all of its dark secrets and Boise codes. But Bass was dead right in identifying that this elongated process to reach a decision did no parties, Dunn or Frost or racing itself, any favours at all. This speed of process has to be addressed in, God forbid, any future cases of this nature. Secondly, though, and way more importantly for me, is the schism that has appeared within the broad church of racing, which can be characterised thusly. Racing's inner sanctum of jockeys, trainers and media, especially the old boys media network of former jockeys, is overwhelmingly pro-done and supportive of the existing jumps rain room culture. Shining lights not in this camp are the level-headed and utterly grounded journalist Lydia Hislop and also Steve Mellish. And if you haven't done so, you should catch his impassioned takedown of Wayne Room Culture on Racing TV this evening, if you can find a clip on YouTube or on Twitter. Counter this then with the warmth of response that Frost received from the public gathered around the winner's enclosure after she rode home Grenatine in the Tingle Creek chase last Saturday. In the court of public opinion, while the public has certainly spoken... Again, there are a few of us civilians. What, you think the rap is part of the inner star chamber of UK horse racing? Behave yourselves and go and give your head a wobble. A few of us civilians that are in the pro-done camp, but the overwhelming majority of us are not. Why is this important? Well, because the dissonance between racing professionals and the general public is not one that I recognise. The rap would not have got off the ground if it had not been for racing professionals such as Richard Phillips, Kim Bailey... Yogi Breisner, the jockey Kevin Jones, the owner Clive Ball being generous to me with their time. Yet, for reasons best known to the individuals making up the corporeal body of Racing UK, they have, for the most part, defended the indefensible in support of Dunn's actions and the Wayne Room culture which spawns it, either explicitly, and I'm referencing Alan Corley's arse-crippingly awful interview on Racing TV today, and Andrew Thornton's fawning acceptance of the offal that came out of Corley's mouth, or indirectly by merely looking the other way when Dunn's boorish and now illegal behaviour was in full spate. This macho culture is just so much garbage for me. Macho means standing up for what's right, even if it means standing alone, facing down the cowards, not some testosterone amp pylon or look the other way club. But so what? I can rant till I'm blue in the face about how things have got to change and move into the 21st century. But until the leaders and influencers and professionals, and especially the jockeys right at the centre of this culture, want it to change, then anything us mere spectators think and say won't make a lick of difference. They've got to want it for change to be meaningful and for it to be effective. One last point. Jump jockeys are renowned for their bravery. Briony Frost might just be the bravest of the lot. Thanks a lot for showing up for this podcast. As ever, your time listening humbles me. But for now, that's a wrap.